Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi everyone, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. That was Sally with Out of the Pan that just finished, and the last song she finished with was Bret Hart's theme from WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. That was cool. Yes, Sally does have a penchant for wrestling. (laughs) As do you. Yes, I do. (laughs) That's how I know. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so, welcome to the show, everyone. Um, so, a very first thing today is happy is Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes, happy Mother's Day. Uh, including all of the non-human mothers uh, whose relationships with their babies can be just as complex and just as emotional as we have with our human babies. So, we can't forget them. Yeah. I'd also want to say uh, thank you to all of the mothers out there whose children have passed, all of the uh, children whose mothers have passed and they can't say happy mother's day to their mums uh all of the people who have uh foster children stepchildren or have been mother figures to um people in their lives and um, they've been important mother figures so yes motherhood is all encompassing Mm. hope you're having a good mother's day exactly i am a mum and this is actually what i want to be doing on mother's day it makes me happy (laughs) so yes (laughs) happy mother's day to me happy mother's day yes excellent uh so Today, uh, well, firstly, this show is all about bees. So next next Saturday, uh, Saturday, May the 20th, is World Bee Day. So we're going to talk about all things bees today. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that our Radiothon show is coming up soon. So Next we, month, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so we want to just give you a heads up that we are going to be fundraising uh, for the show and for 3CR Community Radio. Yes. Uh, 3CR runs on donations and we are the voice of the people rather than the voice of corporate media. We allow a whole bunch of voices that are not able to get a, a footing in mainstream media to have their say and we enrich and and enliven the community and voices like ours which can't as we say get a leg in in mainstream media talk Mm. about issues that aren't talked about in mainstream media and also we we talk about things that make people think and that's a really important thing and we give other we give um 3cr gives people the uh the privilege of understanding 
different experiences, different lived experiences from different parts of the world, from different socioeconomic um, stratas, from from different uh, life experiences of all different people and all different creeds. And that's such a valuable thing for our community. And if you can, please donate because uh, 3CR is such a fantastic thing, such a, a, a wonderful, wonderful community radio. And it allows us to talk about these things, you know, things that make that are important to us, animals and uh, yeah, everything. Yeah. And Radiothon goes for the month of June. But yes. we're going to have a special Radiothon show, which will be a trivia show. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. I believe that's June eighteenth. But June eighteenth is it? Yeah, we'll we'll keep you updated, I'm and we'll have a give now. That. That good. <laughs> I don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> but we will we'll have a give now page that we'll put up uh, online. We'll put links to that. Uh, it's not up yet, but we're just saying, hang on tight, take note. Radiothon is coming. Yes, yes. and if you are listeners of our show, we'd really appreciate if you donate to our. Uh, Radiothon campaign because they do track per show what contributions there are and they get a little bit competitive here. So we would really love to get some (laughs) donations coming in for Freedom of Species specifically. That's right. If you love us, help us win. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, yeah, um, great show coming up. Um, We have input from this show uh, by a native bee expert, Dr. Kit Prendergast, and we'll uh, go into that a little bit later. We've got music from um, uh, Outfit Uh, Shock Octopus, which is a contemplative existential art rock outfit, a collective stream of consciousness and social commentary by Michael Bayliss, David Blair and Scott Andrews. So all three songs will be by Shock Octopus. Um, So, yeah, let's get straight into it. Why not? Well, before we do, just to let you know if you're not aware, we'd love to hear what people have to say or think about our show and the content or any of the things that we're talking about. If you'd like to text in, it's zero four double eight zero sorry zero four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. So that's zero four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. So feel free to text in with any contributions. If you don't want to text in, we'd also love to read what you've got to say afterwards on Twitter and use the hashtag FOS3CR. So FOS for Freedom of Species, 3CR for 3CR Radio. So FOS3CR is the hashtag. And yeah, let us hear what you've got to say and what you think about all these topics. We'd love it. Excellent. Yes, we love your feedback. This is your radio show as much as ours. And we'd love to continue that conversation for sure. Yeah. Yep. So on to... World Bee Day. Everything bees, World <laughs> Bee Day. So yeah, Saturday, May the 20th is World Bee Day. So obviously celebrated across the world. And it's raising awareness of bees, uh, all about them, all about their plight in, unfortunately, uh, the current climate uh, mm. crisis, how we can help them, how we can be effective advocates for them. Um, and here's an interesting question. Are bees sentient? Because mm. there is some evidence that indicates that they may be. Right. So let's get into it. So here in Australia, there's over 2,000 known native bee species, uh, which is absolutely phenomenal. And in uh, the world, there's over 20,000 known bee species. Uh, So it's not just – so we we think of – when we think of bees, most people will think of the common honeybee, which is the scientific name Apis mellifera. Now, the common honeybee is, uh, you know, if you see the symbol for honey, it's the symbol of, you know, like the beehive and you'll you'll think of a a honeybee when you think of bees. But – 
honeybees are only one species. And yeah. one species out of 20,000 known species, we'll get back to that in a second, but known species of bees, 20,000 and over 2,000 native species here in um, Australia. And these are different species. It's not like just different types or different breeds or whatever. It's actual different species. Completely sort of different like different species. species of birds, for example. Like So people yeah. don't think it's like just not different breeds of chickens. It's like no. different species of Absolutely. birds. Absolutely. And, and they look so very bees. different. I mean, it's basically, you know, the same difference from a chicken to an eagle, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the largest bees in the world, I think, and uh, can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, is uh, Megachile uh, Pluto, which is absolutely huge. It's maybe like, I don't know six centimetres or something like that. It's just phenomenally large. Wow. Down to absolutely tiny, tiny bees that are barely visible. So for people in Radio Land, that first one we were Meg was doing a gesture with her hands. It was sort of like an average chocolate bar size. Yeah, I something think. like that. It's it's pretty huge and it has a really big head. It looks really scary. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, bitey and vicious, but it looks pretty vicious. Wow. And then there's tiny, tiny bees. There's also bees that parasite on other bees as well. There's bees that are social. So when we think of bees, we think of bee hives and we think of bees working together. But there's also solitary bees. Yeah, I've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, and many of our native bee species are solitary. Are solitary. Yeah. Most of the bee species that you find that are social that are native here in Australia are northern in the northern area of Australia so in warmer climates so most of the ones that will yep. be in Nam and surrounding areas where I think a lot of our they're listeners gonna are solitary they're bees. going to be solitary ones yeah. which has an impact in yes. what they can access food wise because it means they don't share a hive and a food supply they've sort of got to look out for their own most I think it makes definitely. it a lot tougher for them to find food when they're getting I guess Swarm, not not swarm, but you know, there's a lot of other um, honeybee yes in in, in the yeah. area, and they'll sort of take all their food. Yes, honeybees are quite competitive, and unfortunately, uh, Dr. Kit Prendergast, who, um, as I said, will ha- had some input, and we'll be um, we'll be talking to her. I've I've actually talked to her, and we've got some answers from to questions that I've asked her. That'd be great, rather than um, me just sort of no, regurgitating what I've heard in passing. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> over the definitely. years. It, uh, be... Unfortunately, honeybees, which are introduced species, and they're introduced species to most parts of the world, um, they have a negative impact on native bee species, and pretty much native bee species wherever they are. So, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that. And it's just um, – it's uh, it's a bit worrying. Uh, but, yeah, Kit, Kit has some answers to those questions that you've posed. But I just wanted to have a chat about um, the importance of bees, including native bees – as pollinators to crops, mm. to crops humans grow. Now, unfortunately, we have this um, thing with humans in that we, when we talk about an animal or a creature, we need to know how it's important to us, how it impacts us. Now, with bees, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people. Bees pollinate a lot of the food that we eat and a lot of the crops that we use for both food and fibres and medicines, etc. So, About three quarters of our crops um, in total, the crops um, that we grow, the types of crops are um, pollinated by um, pollinators. They rely. Not just food crops. So, so fiber that we use for, you know, textiles, uh, the medicines that we generate, et cetera. All of the crops in total that humanity uses, about three quarters of them, are pollinated. And, and benefit from pollinators in some way. Right. Um, and then we about approximately one-third of the total production of crops. So this is a smaller number of types of crops, but the actual production, the volume of production, about a third of that in, in the entirety of our crop production on the planet – 
is affected by pollinators, is benefited right. by pollinators. And when we talk about benefited, now some some species of plants, say I think pears, uh, it's about 50% um, that it relies on pollinators. So insects that go around, um, you know, sipping the nectar and then um, – transfer pollen from mm. one plant to another. Because some of the other types can be like wind. Yes, wind um, pollination. There are other types of pollinators that aren't bees. Yeah, other insects uh, as yep, well so, that are you pollinators. Know, exactly, so small insects, butterflies, etc. Even bats are pollinators. Um, yes, absolutely. Bats can be pollinators as well. Uh, but bees do a lot of the work. It's, it's, mm. a, it's a lot of the work. They're the workhorse of the pollinator world. Um, but we we have a situation, um, and this is quite a sad situation, in that uh, the bulk of, bee, of of insect populations are declining, and they have been significantly mm. and drastically over the years. There was actually a 2020 compilation of 166 studies uh, esti- that estimate that insect populations were on average declining globally. This is globally across the planet at a rate of 0.9 percent. Per year, that's almost one percent decline per year, which is striking. Yeah. And dramatic um, insect population decline is an indicator of uh, ecological desertification, which we can talk about a little bit later, and often ecological collapse. Yeah. So, uh, to put it into perspective, if humans disappeared off the face of the earth today, there wouldn't be much of a, a problem. So we would we would disappear. Our uh, areas would be taken over by plants and then by animals moving in to take advantage of those plants and and bees as well. But if our bee populations disappeared, there would be problems. And it wouldn't just be for humans. It would be for a vast array of ecological uh, niches. Uh, We would have big problems, essentially. And it wouldn't just be for animals. It would also be for plants, plant species. Yeah, I've heard it's sort of like a domino effect. So once once the most heavily relied upon, say, plant species that need the pollination are no longer around because there's not enough pollinators to keep those populations of plants alive – then there's a bit of a flow-on effect, almost like a positive feedback loop of because it's not just going to be one species at a time. It's different species of plants that are gradually declining as the bee populations decline because they're not populating, they're not pollinating them enough, and then that affects what other mm-hmm. different, um, you know, animals and plants that need other plants to survive. So, like for example, in in forest and other sort of you know, rainforest areas, there's often different levels of plants, and they rely on the existence of other plants to get the right amount of sunlight or the right amount of moisture and the right you know amount of shade and everything like that. So once you get that domino effect happens, once there's less of one plant, there'll be then less of another plant, and that might impact the food of different herbivores, and that'll impact the food of carnivores or scavengers, and it's just a huge it's just a continuous huge flow and effect. effect. Yeah. And one of the things, so uh, a healthy ecosystem uh, needs several things. It needs quite a number of things. But one of the two of the main things that it needs is uh, biodiversity. And when we talk about biodiversity, we talk about a large range of species within that ecosystem. Uh, the second one it needs is stability. So an ecosystem needs to be stable. It needs to be balanced and everything in that uh, that ecosystem is working towards the benefit of the ecosystem, essentially. And when we say stable, we mean relatively stable because it's always, it's always changing, changing slightly, absolutely, but not at the rate that we're seeing at the moment. Not at a huge rate, and not yeah. an a rate that obviously leads to permanent negative change. Yeah, that's what we do. There's always cycles in in nature. There's always uh, changes over time. 
But unfortunately, what we're seeing in a lot of populations and in, in, in ecosystems is collapse. Yeah. And essentially, if it's too fast, they can't adapt. Yes. If it's slow change, there's adaption. But exactly. once, the, once the change happens too fast, there's no chance to adapt. We have ecosystem collapse. And we have also what is called an eco- ecological desertification. Um, so one of the things that relates back to bees is uh, bees need flower. They need um, they need the nectar. It's a food source. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we find in urban areas is uh, what is often called basically an ecological desert. It's it's the it's the urban lawn essentially. Mm. Now the urban lawn is something that is an introduced species. It takes a whole bunch of care, water, and often pesticides to to produce. And the really tragic thing about it is, I mean, even so, th- this is not really something that native bees can use because mm. they often prefer uh, native wildflowers. But even honeybees, uh, so when a lawn gets to a certain height, and often when that height is when it's about to flower and produce food, it's mown. Mm. And so it really never gets to offer the, f- the limited food that it has in that, that ecological desert. To be beneficial to in To be the beneficial local... even for honeybees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, but that's something that we can sort of talk about in a, a little bit more in depth as, um, as Kit answers some of the questions that I've asked her and we go mm. into depth in that second part. But, yeah, it's really an emphasis uh, at, in this, at this stage of how important bees are to us how important they are to our uh, our human ecologies, the food production systems, the textile production systems, medicine production systems, everything that relies upon crops that are pollinated. And also, I would add how our exploitation of one species, the honeybee, impacts the other species and in turn impacts how Absolutely. the total populations are, are managed. Because yep. a lot of people think, well, that's great when we should have lots of, um, what are they called? People that... Oh, beekeepers, apiaries, yes. But that mm. exploitation of bees yeah. done in, um, you know, confinement, like they're kept and then they're released in certain areas purely to pollinate large amounts of crops at one time. Yeah. And that just basically steals all the food that other bee species would, in, in that wild area, would be relying on. And it also takes over the food that they would normally eat because yeah. our crops aren't something that they would normally eat yeah. as well. And Kit goes into that as well, just talks about uh, you know deforestation and the, the negative impact that has on native, on native bees yeah. and how it's a bit of a myth that helping what we see as bees, the honeybee, is actually not going to be helping native bees. Yeah, so that's she gets into that. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's good. Absolutely. Because she it's, a, it's a myth that. that you hear so often that people are saying, well, I should buy more honey and I should support these oh, absolutely. people that are, because it's yeah. going to help the bees. And it's like, well, it's helping one species of bee. Yes. And that species of bee is already in such huge numbers compared yes. to all the others that it's actually contributing to a problem. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah. Kit definitely gets into that oh, <laughs> for good. sure. And I also want to say before we go to our first song, uh, any factual errors, uh, any errors in B-facts, uh, anything like that are mine and mine alone. Uh, Kit is the expert. I'm just the <laughs> filthy casual. I am making all the mistakes. Uh, Kit's got it right for sure. Yeah. Yep. If I say something now which gets contradicted by Kit, listen <laughs> to Kit. Listen to Kit. She is the expert for sure. Okay. But yeah, what is our first song? Okay. So again, Shock Octopus. Um, so the first song that we have from Shock Octopus is No Easy Way Down. And it's quite a sad song about the melting of the polar ice caps. And it's from the perspective of a dying polar bear. Thank you. 
On May 20, new anti-protest laws will come into effect in Victoria targeting forest protectors. Sign up to be part of a mass survey action to protect and restore forests and defend the right to protest. Surveying is the act of looking for threatened species in an area slated to be logged in order to trigger protections. All forest protectors, whether at protest camps or citizen scientists, are targeted with these new anti-democratic laws. Sign up go to geco.org.au. Be a part of this epic survey action on Saturday the 20th of May so that we can protect and restore the critical forest ecosystems that we all depend on and defend the right to protest in the process. Goongra Environment Centre is a 3CR supporter. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged 3 and 4 can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. You are listening to 3CR, Freedom of Species. That song was Shock Octopus's No Easy Way Down. Welcome back to the show. Trev's going to let us know the phone number to text in and also the Twitter uh, handle. Yeah, the text number is 0488 and the Twitter hashtag is hashtag FOS. 
3CR. So Foz 3CR. Let us know if you've got something to say. Give us some feedback. We love your feedback. So on to the next part of the show, and this is the good stuff. So I asked a bee expert, native bee expert, Dr. Kit Prendergast, some questions. And um, I've been fascinated by Kit for quite a long time. We'll get into that in a second. But um, I just thought I'd uh, give you a bit of background information on Dr. Kit Prendergast. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Kit Prendergast, a.k.a. The Bee Babette on social media, including Instagram and YouTube, is a wild bee ecologist, taxonomist and conservation biologist. She's passionate about using the best available evidence to conserve native bees and biodiversity as a whole. Her research has been diverse from understanding the impacts of introduced bees and plants on native bees and plant pollinator networks in urban areas, to how to optimise bee hotels, to help recover, to helping recover native bees in post-fire environments, mm. to discovering the biodiversity of native bees across an array of habitats, including post-mining areas world heritage sites, apple orchards, and the Jarrah Forest. She's discovered new behaviours of bees and even described a new species of native bee, which she named after her dog. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, She's definitely an animal lover, is is our Kit. Now, Kit's an interesting person. So there is that... um, I guess we've got that stereotype of scientists. Uh, so Kit is a scientist. Uh, she's published over 20 papers uh, on this subject. Uh, and we have this kind of stereotype of scientists as being these kind of staid, boring people in lab coats who talk monotonously about their area of expertise. Certainly not Kit. Kit definitely defies that stereotype. She'll often be found in uh, racy bee outfits. Uh, she's a very good science communicator, quite an effective science communicator. Her um, Facebook page, The Buzz on Wild Bees, has about 11,000 uh, people who like the page and also gets a lot of interaction. She's mm. very, very good at promoting uh, her area of expertise, native bees, and getting people excited about native bees as well, which is absolutely, utterly, crucially important, and Kit will explain why uh, in a second. But I just thought I'd go through and just talk to um, talk to you about what uh, – I asked Kit some questions. Unfortunately, due to uh, scheduling issues, we couldn't actually get her on the show today, which I'm very sad about, but maybe we can do that on another show. Yeah. But she has answered some questions for me, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, so I asked her to tell us how she first became fascinated by bees and what made her pursue her fascination as a career. And she said to me the first inkling was when she was learning about the alternative mating strategies of a fascinating bee, Almagilla dorsoni, and in animal behaviour in undergrad in her studies. Uh, she found that the behaviour of animals, she found the behaviour of animals fascinating, especially their behaviours uh, in their quest to pass on their genes, uh, which is always very interesting. Her interest was then peaked again uh, when she went to a talk by a gentleman um, from the WA Naturalist Club, uh, where he was showing beautiful photos of macro bees at bee hotels. Uh, and at the time, she was brainstorming PhD ideas and she decided that she just simply had to learn more about these native bees that were clearly right under her nose in her backyard, but she'd never really noticed them before. And mm. I guess a lot of the, us don't really notice the native bees. We see yeah. the, the, you know, the honeybee, but we don't notice a lot of these smaller bees. Um, they're, they're often out of the way or smaller or just nondescript. You might think them, of them as wasps or some other insect. Mm. Uh, but yes, she wanted to discover more about them and how we can best protect them. And native bees are such a core component of biodiversity, it fit perfectly into her love of biological diversity and conserving it. So yeah, again, 
we always think, and unfortunately, the um, I guess you could see the honeybee is the famous sister. So she's always the one getting the resources. She's always the one getting the attention and mm. capturing the audience. The native bee can be seen as the kind of the secondary behind the curtain bee, but is important and perhaps even more crucially important than the honeybee for, for various um, reasons, including biodiversity, which Kit is very, very mm. uh, keyed into essentially. So I asked her to tell about to tell me about her career and her published pa- papers and the area of specialty that she concentrates on. And I'll just read in her words. My degrees at uni were zoology, conservation biology, as well as English and cultural studies. My first paper I published was part of a research team reviewing the importance of digging native mammal, mammals on soil and ecosystem health. Mm. So not a little bit of a divergence from what she then went into. And that paper has actually been cited over 250 times. So that's quite a, an important uh, paper with regards to people referencing it. Uh, my research career actually started off with researching the sensory modalities of horses for her honours project. I love horses and it was a wonderful time in interacting with these horses and learning about their preferences for visual versus auditory cues. I published the results of this in an equine journal. But working with horses is quite tricky in terms of getting good sample sizes, needing to get permissions and having to deal with people as well. So then for my PhD, I focused on native bees and now they are a huge part of my life, not just Mm. my career. I've published over 20 articles, including on the best methods for surveying native bees, properties of plant pollinator networks, impacts of honeybees, uh, impacts of urbanisation, flower preferences of native bees, visitors to apple orchards, bee nesting behaviour, taxonomic papers, um, and have more on the works. So stay tuned. Yeah, she's churning out the papers. But I thought I'd go into, and I wanted to sort of ask a question that's just kind of a bit funny. And I, I, I love, obviously, animal biology and all of its uh, kind of weirdness. And so I asked her what is the most weird fact that she knows about bees. Mm. And she said it was a bit of a hard one because they have so, so many weird behaviours and facts. But she said the one thing that she thinks is pretty cute is that many uh, mega mega chili, uh, so I think here Kit pronounces it mega chili, but I think in America they, they pronounce it mega Kylie. So there's a couple of different pronunciations. Um, species have enlarged forearms and they cover the female's eyes when they mate. And the leading explanations seem to be, the leading hypothesis, they don't really know why this happens, um, but they actually think they're covering their eyes to distract them from flying off <laughs> so they can they can mate longer and, and perhaps uh, you'd be successful. But then also they think that he may be wafting sexy scents from glands in his arms to her antennae, which he, she would smell. So it's all kind mm. of really complex mating stuff. And I also want to put in one of mine. Um, so I think it's tetragonulia. Tetragonula carbonaria. It's a type of native bee that's uh, native to the northeastern part of Australia. And the weird thing that I find is there. Well, it's not really weird. It's just beautiful. It is that they're they're a social species of bee of native bee, and they have the most amazing hives I have ever seen. Hives. It's like hives. Oh, hives. It's a hive that is basically a flat, spiraled kind of flower-like thing. Mm. If you Google, if our listeners Google Carbonaria beehive, they'll actually find uh, some beautiful pictures of it. I'm fascinated by these hives. They just look amazing. They look like works of art, essentially. Mm. But it's created by a society of bees, a society of native bees. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of weird and wonderful things about um, bees. And bees also, just to let you know, they're of the order Hymenoptera, which includes ants, bees and wasps. Mm. Uh, They're considered quite advanced insects, as are um, um, ants and wasps, uh, because of their their social nature and because of certain other behaviours, etc. We've touched on this, actually. Another weird thing, if you're talking about facts, um, we have talked about how bees have a kind of language mm. and a visual language that they yep. uh, show the food source, the area, the direction, uh, perhaps the quality of the food source by dancing. Yeah, through a which dance. Which is quite crazy. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I mean, I, I just I just love the idea of, you know, you get in, you tell your friend where the food is by doing a little bop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just, that's just brilliant. But on to the fact that Kit discovered an entirely new species of native bee. Oh, the one she named yeah, after her dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she discovered a new um, bee species and she named it after her dog, Zephyr. Uh, I just wanted her to tell me how she felt when, um, when she discovered that it was actually a completely new species and why she named it after her puppy. And she said she was so excited when she found this bee species. But she said the sad thing is there's so many completely new species of native bee out there. Mm. And and it is sad because um, she'll get into that in a second. But there's no funding to do the necessary taxonomic work to describe these new species. No, right. Barely any funding at all. Um so she just focused on this one particular species because she could see it was clearly distinctive, but it was also so rare and specialised that if she didn't describe it, it might actually be ignored and become extinct without anyone even knowing or caring. Right. Uh, and she's actually still scared that that's going to happen, even though it's actually now been named as a species. And she got a little bit of press about it as well. Um, but it's, it, it is a sad fact that... Um, the, the taxonomic classification, so essentially tax, tax, bleh, taxonomy is the science of classifying things. Mm. We do not have enough money to classify the types of species of bees that we have here. And it goes without saying that if we can't even find out what's out there, the types of species that out, that's out there, how can we even effectively save them if mm. we don't know what's out there? But um, she goes on to say, um, just in regards to that that species, um, she does hope that all areas where it was found are protected and more of its host plant, which is Jacksonia cerisei, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, is protected as well because it has a particular plant that it, that it feeds off. Right. It's, hosts. it's a host. Um, she also hopes that her discovery might channel more attention and funding into describing the huge backlog of new species, as she mentioned. And she named, um, the, so the name of the species that she found is Leoproctus zephyr. And she named it after her dog first and foremost because her dog Zephyr is she loves uh, Zephyr so freaking much. She's been a large part of um, of Kit's life, and she's brought so much joy and support to her, and is so and very important to to Kit uh, to have her around as part of her family. And now she'll be remembered and commemorated forever, which is brilliant. <laughs> and also, Leah Proctor Zephyr has a protruding. Clipeus, I hope I pronounced that correctly, which is the front of the face. And she says that looks a little like a snoot, which is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's a little bit about uh, some answers of, um, you know, what Kit's given me. And she's uh, obviously very passionate about her work. Yeah. Uh, she's I, I am absolutely in awe of the way that she comes across and the way that she talks to people about native bees. And with native bees, um, she really... Uh, 
presses the point that it's important to talk about native bees separate to honeybees mm. because the things that we might do to help honeybee populations are not necessarily going to help with native bees. Yeah, I've heard that And too. that's really, really important mm. to note because we have this idea that, oh, well, if we, we have beehives in our backyards and we become apiarists or, mm. you know, as you mentioned, we buy honey, we can save the bees, which is actually not true yeah. <laughs> on many, uh, many levels. Mm. But I just kind of wanted to go, I think we've got a little bit of time and we can go into a few other things that Kit said um, and then we'll get into another song and then we'll come back and we'll talk about how to be an advocate for the bees, especially native bees. But I said to her, like, what do you think is the main cause of the decline in bee populations across the world and what are the difficulties bee populations face? And she says, without a doubt, the main cause is clearing of native vegetation. So that is the main cause, whether this be for agriculture, especially pasture for livestock or for grains, both of which offer minimal flower resources for bees, or urbanisation, native bees really need flowering native vegetation. She can't emphasise that enough. Mm. And land clearing also contributes to climate change, which is another threat to bees as well. And um, I also asked her, so there's a couple of things that I wanted to know to try and be an effective bee advocate from Kit. Uh, So there was two levels. What can we do as individuals and what can governments do as governments with legislation, with, um, you know, social infrastructure, with infrastructure, et cetera, what can we do? And I asked her one of the questions, um, which I found was a really important question in bee advocacy, what should governments be doing to ensure the health of bee populations? And she has emphasised so much more than what they're doing at the moment. Right. Uh, she says when we're basically doing nothing, especially here in Australia. We just we are not advocating for the bees in any way, um, in mm. any effective way. So one of the things that we can do is stop land clearing. So no more land clearing. Uh, we can offset any land clearing with restoration. So we simply need to, you know, tracts of land that have been cleared, like deforested, etc. We need to restore them. Uh, we need to plant native um, native flowers, native flowering plants, etc. Restore those ecosystems so the bees can return to that area and mm. have um, food and also have a, um, an area that they can roost. Uh, She said, restore native vegetarian with bee-friendly plants. That's really, really important. So especially localised, regionalised plants. Um, So obviously uh, each type of bee has a type of plant or perhaps a range of plants that it uh, gets its food from. So we need to be aware that whatever region that you're restoring, that you restore the native plants to that area, especially native bee-friendly plants. That's Mm. very, very important. If we, um, you know, cover a place in lavender and the native bees don't eat that, you've effectively done worse than than doing something, worse than nothing. You've Mm. actually planted stuff that they can't eat. So she said, include rare native bees on the threatened species list. So I was actually quite surprised to find out that they're not on the threatened species list. I think it's because we have this idea of insects being um, less than other animals. And so they're off our radar because they're not large, they're insects, and they're not considered important Mm. uh, in so many ways. Uh, Also, she says, plant native trees on verges. Now, if we've seen here in our urban environments, we often have introduced species of trees. Uh, That's not good for our native bees. Mm. It's not good for actually a lot of our native populations. And we should be planting native trees and native flowering plants um, more so 
not just for our bees, but also for our other populations, um, you know, for our possums, for our, our native birds, etc. Yeah. Uh, so that's a definitely a good one. And then again, something that she's emphasised to me multiple times, fund taxonomic research. Mm. So if we can't find out what's out there, how can we save it? And there is there is just no information. There is no there's no funding. There's no focus on trying to find out what's out there in regards to native bees species, essentially, um, which is quite sad. We we don't seem yeah. to concentrate on it at all. I also encourage behaviours that reduce land clearing, like going meat-free. She's actually a big advocate of going meat-free, which Mm. I find fantastic. And, of course, again, that helps with so many other things, including moral issues, climate issues, etc. And also incentivise planting wildflowers in cities and ag areas. Mm. Now, in the last section that we have um, of the show today, I actually want to end on a, on a good note and I want to tell you about a country that's done a lot of these sorts of things, uh, implemented a lot of these strategies and has had success, which wow. is fantastic. Yeah. But probably what we want to do is um, we want to go to the next song yep. by Shock Octopus. The next song is called A Deer Caught in the Headlights. And this song started uh, shock. They actually started the band Shock Octopus. Uh, Michael says um, that's the frontman. It's inspired by watching a documentary series called Tribe and seeing the endless and continued destruction of ancient First Peoples and their culture and the ecosystems that they live within. So again, a very sad song, but it's something that we all need to think about. Beyond the sprawl, beyond the blight, the neon light. Beyond the sea, under the trees, a secret garden. We have to go a little further that they'll never find us here. Can you hear the chainsaws near? A deer caught in the headlights, 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 a deer. Boom, make me wanna holler. Boom, time, draw me down a pallet. Boring you, Rose. Boring you hoes in my world 
headlights a dear caught in the headlights my dear she's caught in the headlights my dear she's caught in the headlights we play Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394198377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. Need topping up every now and then. Monty, Auntie. Thanks, Bob. Including your COVID protection. If you're an adult and it's been six months since you caught COVID or had a COVID jab, you can now top up with a free COVID 19 booster. It helps keep you and your mob protected from serious illness from COVID 19. So talk to your doctor or health worker about a free COVID 19 booster or visit health.gov.au forward slash top up to find out more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back. You are listening to 3CR, Freedom of Species, and that was Shock Octopus's idea caught in the headlights. Welcome back. You're listening to 3CR's All About Bees episode. Yeah. This, this episode. So, uh, yeah, we were just talking about uh, the interview questions that Kit submitted to me, Kit, Dr. Kit Prendergast, native bee expert, and uh, I just want to continue with some of the things that she said. Now, one of my questions to, to Kit was, I've always been fascinated by the fact that, um, you know, the honeybee just gets so much airtime and native bees just don't get anything. Mm. And I said to her, why do you think that there's so much emphasis on Apis mellifera, the common honeybee, when we talk about saving the bees in inverted commas? And why do you think it's important to include native bees into the conversation? And she said there's a number of factors. Firstly, humans have had a long history with Apis mellifera. Mm. Uh, Spanning thousands of years, mainly due to honey, Apis has economic importance, providing honey and pollination services. It's also widely kept and it's also familiar to people. But there's the rub. Most places... Apis mellifera is not native. Mm. It's an introduced species, and that's really, really important. They're essentially livestock, and they're not actually in decline. Um, so, yes, we have trouble with uh, with honeybee populations. Uh, you know, sometimes they have health ramifications, etc. But we we pour so much money, so much time, and so much resources into keeping honeybee populations afloat. Mm. They are absolutely not in decline. So saving, in inverted commas, as Kit says. And can I just say, it's also because they're mostly in captivity in areas that they're introduced. So they're not even supposed to be in these areas. And they're not being kept as they would in the wild. They're being kept in captivity. So it's sort of like an uphill battle, trying to constantly pour lots of money and resources and effort into keeping the populations large, but it's purely an economic reason. It's absolutely economic. There's no, I mean, we don't inherently value the bee for itself. We obviously only value the bee for what it can do for us, which Which is is pollinate and pollinate. Yeah, and honey, exactly. Um, So Kit says uh, saving apis is like saying we need to save the cows and chickens. And she says, not that we don't need to save them from cruelty, but they're like honeybee. They are like honeybees in no threat of becoming extinct. There are so so many bees, uh, honeybees on the planet. 
Apis also can harm native bees through competition. The other thing is that they often have different flower preferences, as we mentioned. Mm. They have different nesting preferences and different sensitivities to land use. So helping native honeybees won't necessarily help native bees. And there you have it, folks, right from a native bee expert's Sorry, I'll, mouth. i clarify that. So helping yeah. honeybees, so helping non-native ha- exactly. honeybees, won't help native bees. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so we have it right from a bee expert's mouth. Uh, helping honeybees won't necessarily help native bees. And that's something we need to keep in mind. How do we help native honeybees? And what I've heard um, is even if they are eating the same flowers, when when the pollination services, what they'll do is they'll truck and transport hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of bees and hives across so many distances so that they can just pollinate by mass over a couple of weeks, a huge monocrop field area of kilometres and kilometres long, basically just wiping all the food in that whole area to, to pollinate those crops. Again, an economic reason. And they're, they're, they're done this, yeah. like people who own these hives are paid money to, to transport them. There's companies that do this. Exactly. Yeah. And there's pollination yeah. services. And so that's why people haven't heard about it, maybe look into it, but yeah. they will just wipe out the food supply of these whole huge monocropping areas mm. and native bees in those areas have nothing left. Even if they no. did feed on the same flowers, it's just like, Millions of people coming in and just stealing all the food in all the supermarkets all in one go. And then you're left afterwards when they've gone home. And what do you do? Everything exactly. is just barren. Yep. And we, we talked about before uh, ecosystems in imbalance. So monoculture cropping and doing that whole trucking in of honeybees en masse to areas mm. uh, just to do this. That is an absolute ecosystem in imbalance. We have to put so much time and energy trying to address the imbalance because it is inherently imbalanced. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is one of the hugest problems as well. Like it's just such an, an imbalanced ecosystem. Mm. And the, it is a, it's a man-made ecosystem, but it's an ecosystem nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and I said to Kit, look, if there's anything, if there's one thing that people could do as individuals that has the most impact on the well-being of bees, what could it be? And she said, plant and protect bee-friendly native plants. Mm. And I would add to that, advocate for your government's to implement bee-friendly strategies. And we'll go into a little bit about that and how to be an effective bee advocate in a second. But um, I said, tell tell me what's the most important thing you want to get across to people about bees. And she said, there's so much that we still have to discover, their behaviours, their resource need, and even their diversity. But what we do know is that they're under threat, even if so many are not given legislative protection and we must focus on native bees as focusing on honeybees will not help the cause. Again, mm. we really have to emphasise that. But um, just before we get into the advocacy of bees, I wanted to ask her. So there's actually a um, an article, this absolutely fascinating article that I found in The Guardian. And it's basically... Uh, coming across evidence um, from a, a bee expert saying that bees have a form of sentience. Mm. Uh, so the the work was done by uh, Stephen Buckman uh, and I'll just read some excerpts from this uh, this article and we'll put the link up on the, um, uh, on the, the podcast link. It says here, and this is from Stephen's work, bees are self-aware, they're sentient and they possibly have a primitive form of consciousness, writes Buckman. They solve problems and can think. Bees may even have a primitive form of subjective experiences. Wow. And this has some absolutely 
amazing moral and ethical dilemmas about how we treat bees because we now know this. And he goes on to say, and Bachman and other scientists argue that decline is also due to physiological stress caused by the brutal practices of industrialised agriculture. Mm. Uh, So again, coming back to that imbalanced ecosystem. Um, Their work is raising practical and existential quandaries. Can large-scale agriculture and scientific research continue without causing bees to suffer? And is the dominant Western culture even capable of accepting that the tiniest of creatures have feelings too? Wow. So obviously and we know. What, yeah. did, what did Kit say about that? Ah, well, see, obviously we know that media can overplay things. It can get things incorrect and it can kind of, you know, say, hey, you know, this is right when it actually isn't. It's a bit of a beat up. So obviously I wanted to ask Kit, the bee expert, what she thought about it. And she reckons that this actual research is totally legit. Mm. She says she's actually worked with Stephen Buckman and um, she says that his, uh, his research and the book, so the, this article is actually um, based around a book uh, by Steve Buckman and um, she studied uh, a, a bee, Amagilla Dosoni, and their mating habits with him a few years ago. And she said this is completely leg- legitimate. Um, there isn't any beat up about this and wow. the actual complexity of the sentience of bees and this incoming scientific data that we're finding. So I, I wanted to get to um, one of the main things that, uh, you know, that what we can do, basically. What can we do to be effective bee advocates and and mainly concentrating on native bees because native bees are the ones that need the help. Now, um, number firstly, I wanted to say that Kit actually has a book and it's called Creating a Safe Haven for Bees. Uh, you can actually get this um, from her. You can just email her. It's $30 a book and it's uh, her email is kitprendergast21 at gmr.com. Uh, you can give her an email and, um, and get that book. But then also what we can do, as, as Kit mentioned, is plant native bees. But I wanted to end on a high note and, and tell you that uh, on a, a country level what this country has done. So the Netherlands has actually implemented a whole host of bee-friendly policies, including creating appropriate bee hotels, uh, bee stops and bee highways uh, with native wildlife flowers um, planted in locations such as the roofs of bus stops, mm. uh, replacing um, public grassland with public wildflowers with yeah, native wildflowers really cool. which is fantastic um and stopping the use of chemicals on public lands uh, because chemicals are also impacting bee populations but in 2015 after all of this work a survey of, sol- of solitary bee species recorded a 45 percent increase in bee populations of these solitary bees wow. when compared with a survey conducted in 2000 that's huge. Yeah. So anywhere, and many other places that haven't been implemented these bee strategies, they have population declines. But in a country that has implemented bee-friendly policies, we have an increase. Yeah. It shows that we can reverse it. And we need to advocate. We need to promote this to our governments. We need to be proper bee advocates and not just plant wildflowers, but advocate for our government to have, you know, policies like this on a mm. broad scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, More than just each person's backyard, it has to be... Exactly. We yeah. have to implement this on a government scale. Yeah. This is the only way that we're going to really properly address the situation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, time's up. It is. We, we could talk forever goodbye. on this. Absolutely. But um, we're going to leave you. And thank you very much to Dr. Kit Prendergast. Uh, please have a look at our podcast once, it up. once it's up. We have uh, all of Pritt's con- Kit's uh, contact details including social media uh and yes go and have a look at all of her uh, great work yeah Fantastic. we're going to be back next week freedom of species it's claire and carolyn that are interviewing zane mcneil 
Now, if you've got any thoughts on the show or any other topics, please contribute on Twitter to the discussion. It's hashtag FOS3CR. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. And up next is Rotations for an hour. Yes, Rotations. And then next week, um, the show that precedes us, Sally Goldner's Out of the Pan, is interviewing Australia's first professional wrestler, Ken Dazzler-Donald. That'll be cool. Yes, absolutely. So the last song we're going to go out with is Shock Octopus's Life on a Pier. And this song is about Michael's environmental grief and existential crisis, putting it into music as a kind of music art therapy.
the things, oh, all the things that I wanted to do. Oh, scattered to the Possibly, sea. Possibly, possibilities not collapsing to. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.